This is the Ogilvy Podcast. I'm Chris Saletti. Because I grew up in a family that was supportive of me as a gay child, um, at 15 I came out to my parents. I was graduating from high school, about to head off to college. And I told them that I was gay. My parents supported me. They said, there's nothing wrong with you. You have the integrity, all the training that we gave you. You have upheld it to the highest amount. So there's nothing wrong with you. And with that support, I've moved forward. That's Imam Dayi Abdullah. Imam Abdullah is the first openly gay imam in the United States and one of only eight openly gay imams in the world. Imam Abdullah was one of the speakers at the latest Pride and Prejudice conference hosted by The Economist, which I attended last week. Imam Abdullah spoke to me about his upbringing and how he came into the Muslim faith as a gay person. But I also learned through others, like in college, I met a few more like myself, but the other gay people I met, a lot of them had been hurt, meaning that they had been shamed or um, rejected from their families, things of this nature. So there was a, a, a sense of brokenness, if you will, in terms of their continuity with it. And so working through that process, having been Christian earlier, studying Buddhism, and eventually coming into Islam of some years later, I went into the Islamic faith with the sense of being a full person. Therefore, the only issue that may have really come up was the one of that how do I find myself within the religious tenets that are there and because of my language study background study abroad experiences and my interest in wanting to know this particular thing I set forth to find it out and through additional studies not only in the US but also I worked as an expat in Saudi Arabia for several years and it was there through the studies I did that opened up new avenues of information, sources of information and reference. And it was through that process I was able to write a positive, homosexual positive interpretation of the Quranic text. And I realized that the interpreter, if they grew up in a society that had a stigma against homosexuality, then they put that into their interpretation. If they grew up in a society that didn't have such a stigma, then that negative aspect of LGBT was not there. That sentiment from Imam Abdullah the one where an inclusive environment empowers those who otherwise may be marginalized, was one of the big themes of Pride and Prejudice. The tagline for the event was, business as a catalyst for change. The idea being that the business world could be the most crucial driving force toward LGBTQ equality. But many of the day's panelists and speakers talked about how their companies are fostering inclusive environments, oftentimes despite operating in areas of the world where LGBTQ equality lags far behind. Here's IBM's Chief Diversity Officer, Lindsay Ray McIntyre. You know, we do have business resource groups and opportunities for employees to connect to, uh, you know, diverse networks of individuals around the world. And so even if they're, you know, uh, an LGBT employee in a harsh environment and they don't want to come out locally, uh, we have a list of out role models that they can connect to in other countries and other parts of the world so that they can connect to somebody in the IBM family to have access to resources and mentors and um, online communities and you know things that uh, make 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 their you know their work experience uh, a more you know familial experience uh, in the event that they don't want to engage locally. The second is that, 
you know, we, we believe that you have to you have to engage and participate, right? That, you know, not all of these conversations are easy. Um, and as a multinational, you can't just sort of walk in and, you know, demand that things are the, the, the way you want them to be. But our experience has been that, you know, when we engage in a thoughtful conversation that is inclusive and uh, iterative, that we generally find uh, a win-win solution. Of course, the fight for equality is happening everywhere in the world. Right here in the U.S., the controversial HB2 bill in North Carolina, a.k.a. the bathroom bill, that many feel is discriminatory towards transgender persons, has caused companies not only to speak out and take a stand, but many have decided to withdraw their business from such places altogether. Hi, I'm Andres Weidler. I'm the executive director of Startout. We found that over a million jobs in the U.S. over a span of 10 years left discriminatory states to areas or states with more inclusive uh, policies. So why there's this tremendous tax on discrimination, so why would you pay a voluntary tax? It makes no sense whatsoever. So you kind of giving up jobs, those 1.1 million jobs would have been in those areas that have discriminatory policies if it weren't for those questionable thoughts. The report that Mr. Weidler references also found that it's not just the particular laws or government policies of a city, state, or nation that can negatively affect its economy, like in the case of North Carolina, but the larger society's acceptance matters too. Startout focuses on supporting LGBTQ entrepreneurs. Don't investors just care about whether or not they can make money? One would think. But this goes back to what Imam Abdullah talked about earlier how the views and opinions of a larger society can impact the individuals within it. One of the most important uh, aspects of early stage companies are just funding. You need money to make money, typically. And there are a lot of, a lot of companies, especially scalable uh, early stage companies, they need money. And so in order to get money, you need trust. So it, you, especially early stage, you kind of like getting married with your investors. So if you don't have the trust, you're unlikely to be successful. Now. If you're not out to your investors early on, it's a recipe for disaster. And the nice part was two-thirds were actually co- coming out in the process, so that was surprisingly positive. Still, a third didn't feel comfortable doing that. And we're talking about the bubbles in the U.S. We're not talking worldwide. Right, right. So uh, those numbers will go down dramatically, even though we don't have data, but we expected so. So... Uh, that third of entrepreneurs who had fantastic ideas could generate to the GDP of their respective communities didn't get a chance to do so. We know that many minds around the globe need to be changed, and that's a difficult thing to do. Another theme throughout the day, visibility and representation. Governments and companies can enact better policies, and hopefully we continue to see progress on those fronts. But media and storytelling can play a role too. I talked with one of the day's panelists who believes film and television in particular could be a catalyst to change minds. I'm Cameron Bailey. I'm the artistic director of the Toronto International Film Festival. I mean, when it comes to LGBTQ representation in film and television, we're a long way from equality. Um, And I think that's partly because, uh, you know, people who tell stories for mass consumption are a little bit squeamish about uh, sexual identity, sex period, gender identity, all of these things are 
um, so complex and so, uh, sometimes uh, telling stories, uh, even addressing questions in those areas can, can seem provocative. But I mean, I've been heartened um, by the success of films like Moonlight recently. Certainly there have been a number of TV shows that have taken us well beyond where we used to be even 10 years ago. So I think that's a good sign. I think audiences are demanding this, honestly. And I think what's good is that, you know, there's a bunch of different uh, shifts happening at the same time and they overlap. So the shift in representation when it comes to African Americans um, in American pop culture is one thing. That's overlapping with what's happening in terms of LGBTQ content, which is overlapping with other things, Asian content, gender identity. You know, we're seeing many more trans stories being told in independent films. For instance, we show Tangerine um, uh, at an event at, in Toronto at the Lightbox. We had Maya Taylor come up and she was amazing in terms of really laying out how complex these uh, shifts are, but but just how how possible they are and how optimistic I think we, we can all be about it. Bailey spoke about how it's not just about achieving diversity quotas in casting in order just to check off boxes, but it's really about the authenticity of the stories that are being told. Moonlight was a fascinating case study uh, in that because when it first started, we had the film at our festival in September. We had to really work to get people to watch the film because it didn't have any known names and they weren't sure if they weren't black or if they weren't uh, gay themselves that it was their story, a story that they wanted to tell, they wanted to, to see told. Um, and so yeah, the stories do matter because people identify with characters and they identify with the stories that are being told. And sometimes we forget that those of us who are not part of the, you know, the kind of the mainstream representation in terms of being straight, white, male for the most part, we're very used to kind of embracing other people's stories that aren't our own. But to get an audience to go see Moonlight who felt like they may not connect with it, that was a little bit of work. Um, but then once people saw it, they realized, of course, you can identify with it. It's no problem at all. It's a beautifully told story. It's a love story. I am optimistic. I think that, you know, there's great art being made. But I, my, I'd say my greatest optimism really lies with the audiences. I think that they're asking for their own stories to be told. People want to see themselves up on screen. Um, and uh, I think that idea that we can all embrace just a single sliver of, you know, human stories, that's done. We're done with that now. So people want to see a wider range. And, and I think the audiences are going to drive this. And, of course, the word that was said out loud throughout the day, perhaps more than any other one, millennials. What else would you expect at a conference in 2017? That's because there was a lot of talk about the future of the fight in the LGBTQ movement. There's no question that millennials, Gen Z, and future generations are the ones who will have the chance to really push the battle for equality forward. You know, I think, I think the millennials come with an incredibly... Um you know, thoughtful, connected um, uh, point of view. They are, you know, they are they they naturally are, um, you know, becoming more more global because the social tools uh, allow them to be so. And so, you know, I think I think it's a tremendous asset that you know in, inclusion. My experience is inclusion in the millennial population is ingrained in sort of who they are and what they expect. And so as they start to permeate management and leadership, they will, you know, make us even better. This has been an Ogilvy production. 
Our sound engineer is Ken Meyer, and our music and special effects are produced by Alan Hotchkiss. You, you, you gonna do now, you.